Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman. International Women's Day is actually coming uh, this week. And I thought, what could we do to try to talk more in depth about women and the challenges they face, the progress that they've made? And so naturally, that brought me to the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And joining me today is Robin Scribner. She's a research fellow with that project and also the co-founder of Tech Mom. Robin, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me today. Now, there's a lot of research that that Leadership Project does, taking snapshots of where women are when it comes to leadership roles, um, barriers, successes, everywhere from nonprofit organizations to government positions and home life and in the community, the economic challenges women have. The latest uh, publications or briefs that I spotted, you were the lead author on, and they have to do with sexist comments, stereotypes, and undervaluing women. Let's talk a bit about that, Robin, so you can explain to us more about sexism and the comments these women were reporting and, and how this research came to be. Well, this is part of a major study that the Utah Women in Leadership Project started more than a year and a half ago. So this has been a long time coming. And uh, we sent out a survey to women all across the state. More than 1,000 women responded, and more than 800 gave us specific sexist comments that they had heard um, at, in various settings of their lives, at work, at home, at church, in different places. And so to understand that research better, we, we really dug into the analysis and tried to understand the ways that women are experiencing sexist comments, but also the responses that they made to those comments when they heard them in order to, first of all, help people understand the ways that they may be being sexist and hurting and devaluing women through the things that they're saying every day, but also to help empower women to be more prepared when they hear things like that so that they can be more effective in teaching others and responding when they're hearing sexist comments. So over the past four or five months, We've released five briefs related to this study, and the fourth and fifth briefs were just released this week, focusing on comments that are related to stereotypes, gender stereotypes, and also comments that really undervalue women. So those are our newest briefs, but we also had ones related to objectification of women and also um, gender bias and unconscious bias. So we've had a lot of different research, so people can really check out these briefs and dig into all the work that we've done there. And of course, you can find those briefs through the Utah Women and Leadership Project, correct? 
Yes, the website is utwomen.org, and all the UWLP research is there from briefs to snapshots. It's so much great information. Anything you want to know about women in the state of Utah, you'll find it there. Right, and I love, actually, at 10 o'clock at night, I'm often clicking in and learning because it really uh, broadens my perspective, which before we get into these latest, the fourth and the fifth brief, in general, why is it important for men and for women to understand and recognize recognize sexism when it comes in the form of comments, the language of sexism. Why is it so important for us to understand and get a a grasp of that? Such a good question. The truth is sexist comments and behaviors are pervasive in every aspect of what we're doing in our everyday life from from our highest political leaders to the comment that we have, you know, with our neighbor kid down the street. And we found examples of of the spectrum of those types of comments in the in the research that we did. So a couple of reasons. The main thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to highlight the different ways that women are experiencing sexism here in the state of Utah. We we really strongly believe that the vast majority of these types of sexist comments are unintentional, not meant to hurt, not meant to demean or belittle women in any way. But there are so many people who are saying things that are sexist without even realizing that they're doing it. And so that was one of our purposes was to educate and enlighten people about how sexism works and how it makes women feel bad and and feel diminished. Um, But also, as I mentioned, looking at the responses, we really wanted women to understand You don't have to feel powerless in this situation. You don't need to feel shocked or stunned that you have nothing to say. There's a way to be prepared that that you can make the interactions that you have every day a little bit better. It's not our fault that we hear sexism, but but we can respond and make things better. And, And one of the things that we wanted to emphasize was that it's not just men who can make sexist comments. A lot of it, we had a whole category that was women's internalized sexism. So much of what happens to women is we're raised in a culture and an environment where we see other women in certain ways and we can actually be behaving in sexist ways toward other women. So it's not just men who are sexist. The, the vast majority of comments that we received were from men, but we also had a lot of comments where women showed that they had also heard sexist comments from other women. Give us some examples of some of the sexist comments that were pervasive in the research. So um, we we have it broken down into those four major themes, as I mentioned at the beginning. But when we're looking at the stereotypes comments specifically, those were broken down into several different subcategories. So we had general gender stereotypes uh, about women and about men. So we'd have something like, uh, oh, women have to really work hard to learn how to be engineers because their brains just don't work that way. Or women aren't good at math or women are bad drivers. You know, lots of comments like that um, related to women's emotions. So, well, you can't um, handle being a political leader because you're too emotional and you'd never be able to make logical decisions about what needs to be done here at the state level or comments about how women can't uh, be trusted to do certain types of dangerous work because they're just too emotional and they couldn't do it. So those are some examples under the gender stereotype. But another very large category that we had in the stereotypes theme was women should prioritize homemaker roles. And and we heard that across the board from other women and also from men. That was one of our largest categories that we saw over and over and over again. A woman would say to another woman, oh, you go to work every day. I couldn't possibly do that. I just love my kids too much. Or, uh, you know, I'd love to have this 
um, hobby that you have, but I know that it would take time away from my mothering, and that's not fair to my kids. I know that they'd really suffer if I didn't give my full 24 hours a day to mothering. So comments like that, talking about uh, women saying that to other women, and then also men at work or in other settings saying, oh, I, I don't want to hire a woman for that job because she should be home with her kids. So that's another big example of some of the comments that we've seen. I mean, we had 1,750 total comments in all different categories. So uh, getting into these briefs is really fascinating. I will warn any of your listeners that um, they might make you pretty mad. We have, you know, some of our editors and other researchers that work on the project say, I had to throw something as I was reading all these comments because it was so frustrating to see that the types of comments that women are still hearing even today in 2022, um, the, the way that we can still be so sexist, whether or not we realize we're doing it. Very powerful. That makes us just that much more curious to take a look at, <laughs> at some of the comments that are coming in because we uh, will recognize having heard those. And even as uh, we understand stereotypes, I am not a sociologist, right? Uh, that is not my specialty. But often stereotypes come because people have taught them as truths, taught them as factual about a certain group of people. So we've carried in from the generations before us who have passed it on or from the people we spend time with now, the the groups that surround us, that share perspectives and ideas that we unknowingly accept as fact, when they could actually just be stereotypes that are limiting the way we see the world around us. I hope I'm describing this accurately, Robin. Absolutely. And stereotypes are related to our unconscious biases, right? We see them because we see a lot of people who are part of a single group and and they act a certain way or they think a certain way. And so we generalize and say all people from that group act that way or behave that way, which we know isn't true. We're all individuals. And and even when we're talking about how men behave, how women behave, uh, stereotypes are helpful in terms of you know, understanding the world that we live in, but they can be harmful when we say, oh, this naturally applies to every person. And what we see, especially with gender stereotypes, is that so often we uh, um, assign stereotypes to women that are generally perceived as being negative in our world today and stereotypes to men that we generally perceive as being positive. And so that's another reason. I mean, not being seen as an individual is damaging to us all the time, but especially being attached to a stereotype that is, in addition, negative, that adds another layer of harm. As you were looking at the type of comments that women were reporting that were sexist in nature, were were there some commonalities? In other words, were these comments often coming from people in authority? Do you know, it really went across the spectrum. And, and we have this all broken down in the brief as well. One of the things that we did in the study was we asked the research participant what setting the comment was made in. So did it happen at work? Was it made by someone in authority over you, someone who was a peer, or someone over whom you had authority? What was the relative age of the person making the comment? And what was the gender of the person making the comment? So we have those breakdowns on all these different comments. But um, one of the things that we found for sure was that that um, I, I would say in most cases, it usually was a personal authority, but that was not across the board by any stretch. We had women who were saying that that someone that they manage, their own direct report, would make very sexist comments to them saying, oh, I'm going to let you go ahead and do this project. We, we actually had some crossover between work and church in this specific instance where someone said uh, that they had prayed and understood that it was okay for this woman to do an activity, even though she was the boss. She got to decide what she did. And so um, 
Sometimes it would be direct reports or people in uh, positions, uh, in lower positions, who are making those sexist comments. Sometimes it would be kids making sexist comments toward adults. So it, it worked in all directions, but I would say the vast majority of the comments did come from men, probably more likely to be um, people of authority, although it spanned all range, ranges and settings. Interesting. And as you mentioned, there is also a, a research question kind of gauging whether the women felt like people were aware that they were being sexist. And many of them thought, no, they're, they're, un, they're unaware. They're not even conscious to what they're doing. Yeah, there, there are so many things that we can say that are a normal part of our discourse, and we hear it all the time. We hear other people saying it, and so we never really recognize, oh, you know what? That's kind of a sexist thing to say. We see this in other settings as well. People say racist things that they don't understand are harmful. So this is something the, – the reason why this research is so powerful is because it helps all of us. I'm a gender researcher. This is what, what I've done for years. But as I read some of these comments, I realized, oh, yeah, I might have said something like that, too, and not even realized how it might have been causing harm. And so having this, uh, having our eyes open like this can be beneficial to all of us. And for those who just joined us, this is Robin Scribner. She's a research fellow with the Utah Women and a Leadership Project. We're talking about the brand new research that's uh, focused on sexism, stereotypes, the responses women gave uh, to that as well. And I am very curious about uh, the responses. What were the women saying that they used as comeback lines or anything, any type of response that was more effective than others? That's a great question. We, we broke our responses down into numerous categories. So we had a lot of women say that they made a direct response right in the moment. They, they knew what to say. They knew how to engage back with the person. So for example, sometimes they just say, you're wrong. They'd make a direct rebuttal other times they provide information or education. So the thing that you just said isn't accurate, and here is why. Let me teach you a little bit more and take this opportunity. Other times women would respond, respond with humor or with what we call snarkiness, right? A little sarcasm back at the, at the original speaker to help the person understand your comment wasn't appreciated and it wasn't appropriate. And, and, uh, and my joking comment back to you maybe can diffuse the tension a little bit, but also help you realize don't say stuff like that again. So those were some examples of direct responses. Gosh, my next question might even be sexist. So check me on this. But is it is it correct to say that for many, many generations, women were conditioned to not give direct responses when someone says something demeaning or diminishing or incorrect about them? So they themselves might think it's inappropriate to push back against sexism? Oh, definitely. And and not just inappropriate. Sometimes women just have no idea what to say. And so another large category of responses that we saw was just no response at all. We had hundreds of instances where women just said, I froze. I was so shocked. I had no idea what to say. So we definitely saw that. But then other women who didn't give any responses said, um, it was my boss. There was no way I could reply and let him know that what he said was inappropriate. Or I was in, you know, worried that I'd have some sort of repercussions coming back to me for speaking up for myself. So there are other instances of that as well. We also saw a category that we called internal afterthoughts, where women said later, ah, if I just would have thought of this, I would have had just the right thing to say. So, you know, the next morning in the shower, you're like, this is what I should have said when I heard that terrible comment yesterday. Women came up with those internal afterthoughts. And then we also saw indirect responses where um, 
women just laughed it off or changed the subject, and then later they wished they would have done something different. So a wide different category of responses that we saw from women. And, and one of the reasons why we included the responses in the research itself and in these briefs was so women could pick and choose and get ideas of what they could do and say, ah, oh, the next time says some, someone says something like that to me, I'm going to know exactly what to say. And uh, Robin is a, a researcher who studies women and their behavior at work and, and their experiences at home and in the family and in the community. What do you think is the most effective response? Or does it depend on the situation the woman is in? It does change on the situation, and we're not always free to respond. As it, you know, I, I totally understand that if it was someone in authority over you, it's going to be really hard to respond just in that moment. In the final brief, which is the one focused on undervaluing women, we list a few recommendations. And there are some just simple, basic catchphrases that, uh, that women can have ready to go anytime they're hearing any type of bias like this that they can be ready to say just in a moment, and it actually gives them a minute to think and and then maybe elaborate a little bit more if it's appropriate. So you could just say something like, ouch, or you could say something like, what did you mean by that? Or we don't do that here. Those are those are three examples that we give in the brief that um, give, the, give the appropriate response in that the speaker has said something that wasn't okay. But you can have that ready to go at a moment's notice. You don't have to be thinking, you know, far in advance and be prepared for this. And then, you know, based on how the speaker responds back to you, you can be ready to take it a little further and have a little bit more information shared and hopefully stem off these types of interactions in the future. And if you've just joined us, I'm the host, Rebecca Cressman of Utah Weekly Forum. And joining me today is Robin Scribner. She's a research fellow with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and the co-founder of Tech Mom. Robin, you just mentioned the other brief about undervaluing women's contributions. What did you learn? Uh, give us some details about that snapshot. So some of the major categories that came through this uh, specific theme were related to a women's assumed incompetence. So areas where someone would drive up to a woman who was working on her car and say, oh, do you need any help there? And she said, no, I'm fine. He said, oh, well, I just stopped because you're a woman and I didn't think you'd be able to fix it yourself or or showing surprise that I can't imagine that you're able to change your own light bulb. You know, different areas where, where we're just assuming that women aren't capable of, of doing everyday regular things. Another large category was women's assumed incompetence within the professional realm. So looking at women in their own organizations and, and just naturally believing, oh, they're not going to be as good. They're not going to be able to uh, accomplish or contribute as much as the men in my office. That was a large category. Another one that was pretty interesting was the idea of infantilizing or condescending towards women. And under this category, we saw things where women were treated as if they were under the authority of their husband. Like, you, you better ask your husband if you're able to go on this business trip or if you're able to apply for this promotion. So things like that, putting women in positions of subservience. Uh, other examples were treating women as if they were children. So we had an example from a woman who said that her boss called her father to tell her how she was doing at work, even though she was 25 years old and, and a fully grown adult. So places where uh, individuals were treat, treating women as if they weren't competent adults themselves. We also saw a category with sexist language and terms, and this is something that we see all the time, adult women being called girls. We had some you know, extreme examples in here of congresswomen being called girls and uh, high-level lawyers being called girls and things like that. So that use of this colloquial language of treating women as if they're not fully-fledged 
competent, contributing adults, but somehow girls or, you know, little ladies or things like that. So those are some of the categories that we saw under this undervaluing women theme. And they all sound very familiar to me. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. None of us, I mean, that's one of the things that we found as researchers and also as we've shared these briefs with so many of our readers, uh, a lot of the examples are very egregious, very outrageous, right? And we wish that we were more surprised by those, but we all have heard them. But we also shared a lot of examples that were much more subtle because we're hoping that people who say things where they're not you know, blatantly, obviously sexist will recognize that even the subtle, unconscious comments that we make can still be harmful. And now what about the type of responses that women made to these undervaluing comments, referring to her as a little girl or uh, indicating that, you know, she uh, might not be able to handle that kind of complexity? Were there some effective responses that women shared in that research? We saw some of the same types of responses that we saw in other areas, women just correcting information and saying, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm an expert on this subject. I've been working in this area for 10 years. So the information that I've got to share is going to be effective and valuable in whatever project you're working on. Or, you know, we had other women talking about how they, um, even though they weren't assumed to be as effective as their job and really needed at work, they needed to support their families and they were there committed to the work that they were doing. So we saw great examples of that. Um, all, all the different categories of providing information, using humor, things like that. So um, I, I think that across the board, the types of responses women were giving, we did see similar themes there, and um, and we have some great ideas in the brief of, of how women can respond when they are hearing these types of comments. I'll agree. I'm looking at one of the briefs right now, and it says, based on the findings of how Utah women experience sexist comments, you're offering the following recommendations for women and male allies, a term which means those are men that are vested in making sure that women are given equal opportunities and respect and leadership experiences. And you broke it down into three steps, preparing, so have a go-to phrase you're ready to share, uh, and then take action when you hear offensive comments. And the third is calling out that behavior. So there's lots of details on that, but again, some great takeaways from there. And you can learn as much as you want about all of these topics dealing with women uh, on the Utah Women in Leadership Project website. Robin, what is that again? It's utwomen.org. All right, utahwomen.org. And of course, we initiated this conversation uh, because International Women's Day is just days away. What type of projects and events is the Utah Women in Leadership Project hosting? Oh, sounds great. The Utah Women in Leadership Project is hosting a big virtual event with the governor's office in the state of Utah on March 8th from 9 to 10 a.m. called Utah Women Learn, Lead, and Lift, which will be a fantastic chance to talk about what's going on for women in the state and how we can be a part of it. They've also got another uh, event coming up a couple of days later on March 10th focused on perspectives from prominent women leaders of different faiths in the state and how they are contributing and making things better. So there's always a lot of great stuff coming from the Utah Women in Leadership Project, both in terms of research, these wonderful events that they host, and there are so many resources on their website, too. So a great uh, place 
for all your International Women's History Month events and, and any support you need there. Thank you, Robin. And every time we talk about women and opportunities and the barriers they have to learn and to grow, I'm reminded of what your fellow researcher, Dr. Susan Madsen, shared with me, and that was that when we are opening doors for ourselves and pushing back against sexism and limits on women, we are opening up a better, brighter future for the young girls that are growing up right now, because we want to give them every opportunity to improve their lives and to have an impact on our community. We need that. Our guest today was Robin Scribner of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. You can get more information about Women's History Month and International Women's Day, the events, and the research online at utwomen.org. That's utwomen.org. And thank you to our guest, Robin Scribner, for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. You'll be back with us again, won't you? Yep. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.